Good morning, Bethel's Rock. It is a great Sunday morning. We've just celebrated Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know about you, but when you came in, we had placed scales just to see how much we grew over the weekend. And I am sure uh, we would all agree that although we were eating turkey and, and maybe it didn't give us as much weight, we probably gained a little weight in pies and everything else. And uh, maybe we need to get a gym membership but I hope that you had an incredible weekend celebrating Thanksgiving and spending time with family and friends. And um, we want to start uh, moving into the Christmas season. And I'm going to start with a message that um, really isn't a Christmas message. And, and in some ways, it's not a Christmas message at all. But um, I want to talk about the bees of Bee Rock. And, and if you're new to Bethel's Rock, maybe you don't even know what those are. If you've been here a while, you've seen the signs even on the windows behind us right now. The bees of Bee Rock are, say it with me, believe, belong, become, and build. And it was a number of uh, years ago when uh, God really gave us the bees of B-Rock. You know, God gave us the name, uh, gave me the name before I ever came to Minneapolis, the name Bethel's Rock, um, which really goes back to Genesis when Jacob turned the rock up and he said, this shall be the house of God, which means which the word Bethel means house of God and the rock represents that place where God's house came and when we were meeting as a leadership team at a, a, a long time ago uh, we, we said what are the things that we want to be or to become at Bethel's rock and and we came up with the four B's one we want to believe we want to belong, we want to become and build. But because it's Christmas, I'm going to start out with the story. And there were three men that were hiking, and they came upon a river that was a pretty powerful, mighty, rushing river, packed with all kinds of currents and white, uh, white water. And when they came to that place, the first man prayed. He said, Lord, give me the strength to cross the river. And so he, God Poof, gave him muscles and he got in the water and he swam across the river in two hours. The second man watching that said, I don't really want to spend two hours crossing the river. He said, Lord, give me strength and the tools to get across this river. And poof, God gave him muscles like the first one, but he gave him also a boat. And the man rowed across the river in about 45 minutes. The third man watching the first two said, Lord, give me tools and the intelligence to get across this river. And poof, God turned him into a woman. She looked at a map, saw 100 feet up the stream that there was a bridge and it took her 10 minutes to get across. So that is for all the women in the room. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's take a look at the, the first bee of B-Rock. In this series, the bees of B-Rock, um, we're going to take a look at what it means to believe. You know, to be, God created us to be, not do. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything. It does mean that we do out of who we are. Doing doesn't make us who we are. Rather, our being makes us who we are and facilitates what we do. 
So I want you to write that down. Doing doesn't make us who we are. Rather, our being makes us who we are and facilitates what we're doing. Let me say it another way. Say it like this. We are not human doings. We are human beings. Too much of the time we're focused on what we're doing and we get upset when we're not doing enough or doing what we need to be doing. We lose sleep sometimes over what we have to do or what we haven't been able to do. And there's a difference between doing and being. Doing is an isolated activity. Being is who you are. We need to know who we are by our identity that God has given us, not by the things we do. You know, a lot of times if you lie, then we somehow assume, okay, my identity is that of a liar. No, my identity is in Christ. And did I lie? Yes, that was an activity of doing, but it is not who God created me to be. When somebody out there steals, that's not who they are. They're not a thief. They are living in this, their doings. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to rob people of their identity and, and then call them by their doings, not by what they were created to be. When we get a hold of that, that I am not in God's eyes what I'm doing. That's not my identity. My identity is how God created to be, to be, created me to be in His image. Then my doings don't influence my identity. Although when we believe the lie that that's who I am, we tend to just live up to the expectation. So doing, we serve people uh, all, all the time on serve week or during the week. Being is we serve people all of our life. Doing, we give a donation at Christmas. Being, we give for, give for everything. Doing, we worship God on Easter. But being, we worship God in the hospital. We worship God in all the places. Because I just, I just who I am. I'm a worshiper. So when you take a look at the four B's of B-Rock, it's our hope that your experience will produce Produce the bees in your life, all of them. Believe, belong, become, and build. That as you're a part of this body of believers and you, as you live in this culture, there will be four things that are trans, uh, uh, translating or taking place in your life. And one is you're growing in your beliefs and, and the belief of what is really God truth. Not, not the lies of the world or the culture of this world, but we start by believing in Jesus. Secondly, that we learn to belong, that we become belongers and we belong to the family of Christ. This is why after service is done, we encourage you to hang out with the people that you're worshiping with, that you stand with them and you get to know them because we are the family of God. There used to be a day many years ago where we'd call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we recognize that this is my family. These are the people I belong to. And we'll talk a little more about belonging next week. And then that we become, we become followers of Christ. And finally, we become what I believe is the pinnacle of the Christian walk. We become builders that build in the kingdom of God. So Bethel's Rock wants you to believe. We want you to belong. We want you to become. And we want you to build. I really do believe 
that even though it may be difficult to memorize things in your life, it's pretty easy to remember the four B's. First of all, because it's Bethel's rock, B, Ethel's rock, and, and that it's, it's just four words. This is what God wants to do in my life every single week. He wants to bring me into belief. He wants me to belong to the body he's given me. He wants me to grow and become that image that he created me to be. And then ultimately, he wants you to go therefore into all the world and build the kingdom of God. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 27 through 29. It says, do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who sent, he has sent. What an incredible statement. And we're in Christmas. What a Christmas, really, we're celebrating Christmas. What we're really celebrating is an extraordinary story. When you think about the fact that a virgin got pregnant, that God came down and put his seed in the egg of a woman, and she became pregnant. And then a virgin gives birth through that, and that this baby would be God, that God puts himself in a body. Then angels appeared to shepherds, low-class men, singing about a Savior that had come for them, joy to the world. Then there was a star in the east at his birth that provoked the travels of wise men that would travel almost two years to see this baby that was born from miles away. The baby scared King Herod the Great. No one scared King Herod the Great. No one. And yet this baby scared him enough to kill babies under two years old. That is an unbelievable story. If you think about Christmas and all that we celebrate, the, the story is truly unbelievable. And in, as unbelievable as it is to, to believe that, God the creator of the universe packed himself into a human body. It happened. And so this Christmas, as you celebrate the birth, birth of Christ, think about what you're celebrating. You aren't celebrating Jesus, a fairy tale like Santa, Rudolph, and Frosty. We're celebrating an unbelievable. It takes faith. It requires faith to believe what happened on Christmas. John 12, says, Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus came into the world to reveal who God was. You know, and they're great men of faith. Great men and women of God are not remembered uh, by their stories uh, but, or their great behavior. Rather, they're remembered and known by their faith. Common theme mentioned the great men of faith of the Bible in this area. Abraham, David, Elijah, Elisha, Peter. 
contemporary people like William Branham, Smith Wigglesworth, Reinhardt Bonnke, Corey Tim Boone, Oral Roberts, Lester Summerall, John G. Lake, Todd White. Their theme is always only believe. Like when it doesn't seem possible. You believe. You just believe. Why would you believe? That's, that doesn't even make sense. We believe because God says only believe and we must first believe in God. We must believe in God first. Genesis 2, 15 to 17 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. When man ate of the tree, death entered the world because man stopped believing in God. You see, it, is always, it has always been about faith. From, from the time of the garden, Adam and Eve had to put faith in God's word. When God said, don't eat of the tree, man had to believe that God knew what was best for them and that his commands were not there to hold them back or to hold back blessing from them, but God was commanding them to believe him so that he could, they could be blessed and walked in blessing. There's a saying that you often hear, experience is the best teacher. No, it's not the best teacher. It's a cruel teacher. The best teacher is faith in people who have learned from experiences. When we go to people that have experienced things, why would we want to walk down the same road they did to experience what they've already experienced? That's wisdom. Every parent here doesn't want their children to learn by experience. You don't want them to get experience through an accident in a car. You don't want them to get hurt. You would rather they listen to you and learn from your experiences. In fact, if you're young, the greatest gift your parents will give you is their experiences their tragedies, their failures, where they fell short. And as parents, you should not feel ashamed to share those with your kids. Because we believe in many things, and we believe they're true. I believe in gravity. I believe that we need oxygen to, believe, to breathe. I believe in two plus two equals four. I believe that Mexican soap can take out any stain. I believe that fruity pebbles creates a fruity explosion in a person's mouth. I believe that salad bar full of chow is meant to keep you from eating a lot of meat. And there's some people who believe in extraterrestrials. They believe in Buddha as a living God. They, they believe um, sacrificing virgins will give them favor with their gods. They believe that there is no God. There are even some that believe Elvis is still alive. What you believe in is as important as whether or not you're going to believe. You see, you don't know what it is yet, but you do believe in something. Every one of us are believers. The question is, what are we putting our faith in? Are we putting it in God's word, or are we putting it in what our culture is telling us, or what, what people who never speak to God are saying? God desires for us to trust him. 
This is what it says in number 1411, and I'm gonna give you a, a number of scriptures. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe in me with all the signs which I've performed among them? Deuteronomy 132 says, yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God. In 9.23, it says, Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. The reason we don't obey is because we don't believe. We don't believe God's going to take care of us. We rather trust in our own means. And we really don't understand that all the blessing and good that we have in our life really has already come from the God we won't trust in. John 3.12 says, If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? John 6, 29 says, Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. There's this tension with God. If we believe in God, why do we worry so much? Where is the stress coming from? What is up with all the manipulation? Is God real? Is he there? Does he care? About yes, God cares about you. But, but the unbeliever's view of God sees him as uh, four really four different types of God. One, see him the on-demand God. That God needs to answer my prayers the moment I pray because he's my own personal genie. And then there's number two, the goosebump God. They, they went to church and saw a small group, but they didn't feel or see anything. So how can I believe in God if I, didn't, if I didn't see, hear, or feel him? Then there's the no heart God. How can God allow all this terrorism and natural disasters and war to take place and all the killing? He's either, he either doesn't care, doesn't exist, or isn't a good God. And so they say, I don't know that I believe him because where is he at? And then there's number four, the schoolmaster God. There's just so many rules. So why, so why would I believe? I just want to have a good time. I just want to have fun. There's so many people who have an interesting view of God. And therefore we don't trust him. You know, Satan's deception is he's working to destroy, distort our view of God. Just like he did Adam and Eve in the garden. That God was holding out on you. That God is not wanting to do these things. That, that maybe you're convinced because you behaved poorly that the God doesn't want to bless you. If that's true, then the sacrifice of Christ is pointless. Because Christ purchased all of your behavior. He purchased your sin. Satan is working to distort our view of God so we worship a false image of God. There are false images of God and then there's a false image of the God. Believing is such a key in relationship with Christ. That's why it is hard to believe in God if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came to earth to clear up the image of God in our minds. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We make the decision to believe. So let me ask you this. Do you believe in God? 
Do you believe he has made you a son through Jesus Christ? And that as a son, you carry a, the father's favor? Here's two believers' identity, and, and we all have a, an identity. The early Christians were not called Christians. In fact, they weren't known by the people of that time as Christians. It wasn't until much later in history that the, even the term Christians took place. They were rather known as the way, or another term, were believers. And the reason they were known as believers to the community around them was because of what they believed. They believed for the impossible, and then it happened. They believed for the supernatural and then it happened. The identity of the believer was they believed things that weren't easy to believe. Acts 4.32 says all the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. There are a bunch of men and women sharing personal stories about Jesus with everyone and they, they knew. They were convinced they were willing to put their lives on the line. Human nature wants to hoard stuff. It wants to hold things in. It wants to pull things. And we see that with little children. They don't want to share their toys. We have to teach them to share. And what's interesting as we've grown older and Christ has come into our life, we, we tend to not... We tend to struggle still with generosity. How is it we're the wealthiest people in the world and we always feel like I don't have enough to give away? I struggle with tithing. I struggle with, with, with giving my time or serving. It's funny, at funerals, you see more people who walk through broken families because of an argument they have over mom and dad's stuff. What would it take for people to willingly give access to their stuff to other believers? What would it take... Uh, for everyone to put their keys in a bucket this morning and then everyone reach out and whatever key they ended up with, that's now your car. In fact, as you leave today, maybe we'll do that and you can put it in there. Some of you are going to go to the bathroom before the end of the service. I can, already, I can already see it. What would it take to die for the gospel. You know, when I was in Tanzania, I, I put this altar call out there as a response. I said to the pastors of Tanzania, I said, listen, guys, this altar call isn't for everyone. It's only for the people who are willing to make this, this a statement. How many in here will go anywhere God would want you to go, even if it would cost you your life? Two-thirds of the people got up and came to the altar. Now, if I'm being completely and totally honest, which I, is what I want to do, I don't know that I would make that decision. I don't know if I could have answered that call and been true. And you may be here and you say, would I die if someone came and questioned my life and said, deny Christ or I'm going to shoot you? Would I, would I deny Christ or would I say, I cannot deny Christ and would I stand? And most of us say, yes, I would die for Christ. Many of us, I would die for Christ. But listen, Dying for Christ is something that happens every day. It happens every time you tithe. You die when you obey his commands. It would be foolish to think that we would ever die for Christ if we're not willing to obey the commands he tells us to do every single day. Because you will never die for someone who you don't believe has your best interest at heart. 
Romans 1, 16 through 17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who, what? believes for the first for the Jew then for the Gentile for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last it's just as it's written the righteous live by faith we we believe things that don't even look possible we're not overcome by fear and anxiety because we believe God is going to be like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego king we will not deny Christ you can throw us in there and our God will save us and even if he doesn't we will still believe that's what these people were that was the believer's identity it's a new identity you once were a housewife a plumber a businessman painter salesperson you fill in the bank the disciples were tax collectors fishermen uh, store owners and financial guys but after Christ we all became believers we all took on a new identity we became co-heirs of Christ people of authority people of favor people of purpose people of promise people who are working to turn the world upside down sons of God Romans 8 15 says for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry Abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's kids we're brothers and sisters. We are the children of the creator of the universe. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs. And I love this, with Christ, that everything Christ expects, we should expect in our life. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Stop feeding your disbelief and extract the doubt because truth always pushes away doubt that's why it's so important to be in his word that's why we have a believer's promise Romans 4 says therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham he is the father of us all as it is written I have made you father of many nations he is our father in the sight of God and whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. Fully persuaded, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Her womb wasn't almost dead, it was dead. Look what, he's, what it says. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. He was fully persuaded God has the power and he's willing. He can call things from nothing because he is the creator. And Abraham was the first, one of the first believers. He did not waver, he just believed. And it was that faith that, faith that became the righteousness 
that he would stand on. It says, verse 26 says, that is why it's credited to him as righteousness. Uh, it was credited and were written not only for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead and executed fear, and executed doubt, and executed the attacks of the enemy against us, and executed all of those things that the enemy is trying to do to undermine God's promise in our life. Do you know there are 7,000 promises in the Bible just waiting to be accessed by somebody who knows they're a believer? Faith is the power source. Your, your faith plugs into God. The question is, do you believe? Do you see yourself as the son of God? Do you live and make decisions as a son of God? Do you receive his forgiveness and his grace and his authority? Do you walk in his prosperity, health, boldness, and in relationship? Matthew 9, 28 says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done for you. Mark 5.36 says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Mark 9.23 says, Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. Mark 9.24 then goes on and says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Everything is possible. What? Everything's a lot. Matthew 21, 18 says, early in the morning as he went on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree on the, by the road, he went up to it, found nothing except leaves. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. He says, how did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. But we got to test God's word. We got to test God's word. When we pray, we need to be intentional to declare God's promises and his word to the Lord. There are no telepathic prayers. It's not a matter of just thinking it. We need to declare the promises of God and declare our prayers to the Lord. James 1, 6 through 7 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's not just about praying. It's not just about praying and talking to God. Prayer without faith is mute. Declarations without faith is moot. We should, when we declare the promises of God and when we begin to pray and we pray the promises of God and we begin to receive the promises of God, it should do something in us that causes us to stand up in faith and believe again. See, the problem with the church isn't a lack of promises. The problem in the American church isn't a lack of word. Everybody has a Bible or access to a Bible. The problem in the church isn't the absence of the presence of God. God is present. He's here right now. The problem in the American church isn't the lack of community. The problem in the American church is we, we have come to a time where we have made the decision that we will only believe the commands that I want to believe. Our problem is 
faith. And it's faith problem because of our lack of a relationship with the promise keeper. I want to encourage you. One of the great things we want to do at Bethel's Rock is to believe. It's time to believe God for your marriage to get better. For your finances to improve. For your health to be divine. For your relationships, for your children, for your emotional condition, your mental standing, your children in your house, your car, your job, even your college bills and debt. It's time to believe God. And see, that's what God's called us to as a leadership team, as a body of believers, to be a body of believers that believe for the impossible. I want you to bow your head for a moment. And I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, how's my believer? Help me, Lord God. Because there are, there, there are, there's a miracle that needs to take place where we begin to trust God. We have to know him so we can trust him. And when we begin to trust him, we begin to walk according to his commands and we see his blessing in our life. I'm going to ask you right now to just take a moment and ask the Lord, Lord, where am I pushing you back? Where am I stiff arming you? Where have I decided not to believe and I'm just going to live it? Because I believe you saved me of my sins. I just don't believe you for anything else. Right now, take a moment and do that.